Hi, all. You're listening to the Get Centered podcast presented by the Center for Individuals with Physical Challenges. I'm your host, Wendy Fralick, and I'm the executive director of the center. And we're coming to you today from the BART Center for Music Recording Studio in downtown Tulsa. I have with me today Charlene Reed and Brad Smith. Charlene is a member at the center, and Brad is her husband. Hello. Welcome. Hello. Hello. How are you? We're doing well. Thanks for having us. Thrilled that you're here today. I'd love to start by chatting with you, Charlene. Okay. Charlene, tell me about your life prior to 2018. What did your life look like? My life was very busy. I think about it now and I get tired. <laughs> I worked a full-time job downtown and uh, I got up every morning about 6.30 to make it to work by 8 and I worked all day long. And what were you doing, Charlene? I was a legal administrator for a, a law firm down here. Mm-hmm best and sharp. So I was responsible for HR and I did a lot of uh, troubleshooting on computers and that type of thing to kind of keep us up and going. And you were also really active, right? I was very active. I was a runner and pretty much every, at least three days a week after work, there was a group of us that would go down to the river park and run at least three miles, sometimes more. So you were both active in your work life. You mm-hmm. were active in your just physical activity life. Yes. Tell me about you and Brad. What what did life look like for you two? Well, Brad worked full time and he was out of town a lot. He is a field service engineer. So many times he would be, when he would go out of town to to work, it could be a week, two weeks. I don't think he was ever gone for three, but many times in the evening he would he would be gone mm-hmm. to say you know uh Oklahoma City or Hot Springs somewhere like that Wichita usually somewhere that wasn't too far away but many times he would it would be a you know he'd have to spend the night wherever he was what would you and all do for fun we like to um scuba dive we went on several scuba diving trips when we took our my oldest son and uh, middle son. my middle son. Sorry. <laughs> okay. I know. I've got so many of them, you know, <laughs> and we had a lot of fun doing that. Wow. So what are some places that you went? Uh, we went to Hawaii and we went to Cozumel mm. and just had a fantastic time. Sounds diving. amazing. Brad, I think you were going to jump in and say something. Well, I was just saying on the travel thing, you know, it was a fine balance because uh, if I was gone too much, then she complained, you're gone all the time. <laughs> if I was home too much, she was like, don't you have someplace you should go? <laughs> she's I was a very used fine, to being by myself a lot. It was a very fine balance on how that worked. <laughs> on so how much fact, you could actually be home. Be there, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the fact that I would run a lot was kind of filled the gap, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And I'm assuming that the group that you ran with, you had just amazing relationships with. Oh, yes. Spending so much time with them. Well, there was several of them I actually worked with as well. So we were, you know, around each other during the day. And then after work, we'd go run. But yes, it was a lot of fun because we went, this group kind of, sometimes we went to races in different cities. Uh, One time we went to a, a race. We went to several races in Fort Worth kind of figured out where we like to go there and uh we went to one in new orleans and it was it was just a lot of fun uh you know our my writing people and their spouses would go and we'd 
we'd make a weekend of it. And it was it was just a lot of fun. Yeah. Kind of getting to explore different places and run at the same time. Absolutely. So I think this brings us to 2018 when things changed. Mm -hmm. Can you describe for us what that looked like? Well, I had kind of had a stressful week prior. I was getting ready for a meeting. For whatever reason, I had a headache the entire week. It wasn't a horrible headache. It was just a nagging headache, which I hardly ever would have. But I, you know, I was tossing down the Advil and the Excedrin trying to get rid of this headache. And Sunday morning, the the day I had my stroke, was the day of the Tulsa run. And I remember thinking, should I go out and run a couple of miles? Just, well, normally the whole group would run the Tulsa run. But this year, for some strange reason, nobody had mentioned it. But I realized that it was the Tulsa run that day. And I thought, maybe I'll just go out and run a couple miles. But I had just taken a shower and I thought, nope, not today. We're going to go out and have breakfast or something. And so I, I was talking to Brad and he mentioned, he says, Charlene, you're, your face is kind of drooping when you talk. And, and I, I had a friend who had a, whose husband had recently had Bell's palsy. And I'm thinking, I don't think that's something that's catching, but <laughs> it's probably something like that. So I went and looked in the mirror and sure enough, my, the left side of my face was kind of drooping and I was taught, we were talking and Brad kept saying, I think you're having a stroke. And I thought, no. She started getting weak on her left leg just real mm -hmm. quick after that. So is that what made you think it was a stroke? Like where in your the, the world? What what made me notice that we were joking around and I said something and she she laughed and smiled, but the left side of her face didn't didn't mm -hmm. move and and so I thought right then I was and then when she started getting weak on her left leg, then yeah, I, I was pretty sure she was having a stroke. And so then what? What happens? Well, then I looked in the mirror and I realized that my arm was kind of floppy. Mm -hmm. And I thought, mm, there's something going on here. And he kept saying, I'm going to call 911. And I'm like, I just got out of the shower. I got to get my clothes on. So, <laughs> yeah. Priorities. I well, they're all priorities. They're so all anyway, priorities. And, and I kept telling Brad, just let me lay down. Yes, my head's still hurting today, but let me lay down and I'll be okay in an hour or two. And then we could go out and do whatever you want, you know. Which I did not do. I called 911 right Well, there. and then the 911 operator started asking me questions like, can you say this tongue twister? And, of course, when I was talking, it sounded like I was enumerated. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I don't want anybody to hear me like this because they will think I'm, you know, three sheets to the wind. Yeah. And uh, anyway... But they told me to lift my arm and just simple things like that that I couldn't do. And I thought, okay, there there is something to this. So 911 shows up, mm -hmm. you know, and what? They put me on the gurney and take me out the door. And the whole time I'm like, oh, I didn't want Brad to call the ambulance because I said, it's going to, my neighbors are going to be so worried about me. They're going <laughs> to see the ambulance and me going out. They're going to be worried that there's really something bad that's happened to me. And I'm worried about them saying, now, Brad, call them and tell them I'm okay. Our uh, fire department showed up very promptly. They were, from the time I called, it was probably 25 minutes later, she was in the ER. 
Wow. You know, so they were very... It took me in immediately for a CAT scan and discovered that I had a bleed. And so how does that work? Uh, you, you had a name for that, Brad. What kind of... Hemorrhagic stroke, which just means it's bleed. So... And I think I was asking you previously, does that mean that the bleed caused the stroke or the stroke caused the bleed? Well, the stroke is the bleed. You can either have a blockage, like an embolism type, where something breaks loose and blocks off blood flow, or you can burst a vessel and bleed out into the brain cavity, which is what she And which you're still not getting blood flow to everything that you need to... That is the stroke, and because it's a closed vessel, as you bleed in there, it creates a lot of pressure. You mean a closed space at the head? Yeah, yeah, the closed space, and it pushes things around, creates a lot of pressure, and, you know, she had a size about... About the size of a chicken egg that was just where it pushed everything out of the way and filled up with blood in there. And that was... So they admitted me and immediately started me on some steroid medications. They put her on platelets to stop the bleeding. They put her on some fluids that's going to help draw fluids off the brain to help relieve pressure, trying to avoid doing surgeries. They did put her on a lot of steroids to help swelling, you know. And it's just a matter of waiting, and they did neurologic checks every two hours, you know, which it was so funny because she got so tired of her asking her, you know. They'd wake her up. She'd what's go, your hey, what's your name? Charlene Reed. What day? It's Thursday. It's a Sunday. I, yeah, Trump. He's because they always know who's the president. Trump. Yeah, yeah. Well, still Trump. All those questions. Know who the president of the United States is. She could answer all without him even saying anything. Yes, this is Trump. They're waking me up every two hours, and I'm just like, let me sleep. Yeah. So, how long were you in the hospital? What did that look like? I was in. She was in the ICU. What three weeks? No, you were in ICU for eight days. Okay. And then she moved into in-house rehab, rehab and she was there for six weeks before she got out. And what did rehab look like? What was that? That was downstairs from the ICU, and basically, I mean, it was every day I would get together with my different therapists. I had a, a physical PT therapist, and I had a occupational. occupational therapist that worked with me every day. To, and... Another thing that happened while I was in the hospital, you know, they did work with me to get me to stand up beside the bed. And one day, this is in the, what was it, the first ICU. or second day? First day she was in the in-house rehab, she fell off the toilet. Oh, no, no. <laughs> is that no. what you're talking about? No, no, no. It was when we were in the ICU and you went home finally after being oh, in the yes. hospital for I had been there 20 since, hours or so. It was actually Saturday morning when she went in. Oh, was it Saturday? Yeah. Okay. And so by Sunday evening, I thought, okay. Surely I can run home for a second and take a shower, you know. Mm-hmm. And feed because the dogs. And I see you, and sure enough, she wakes up while well, I'm gone. Well, I had been up earlier that day, and I thought, oh, I need to go to the bathroom. So I just, but then I had all these things sticking on she me. She gets and up, like, tries to get out of bed. Pulling them out. And falls you know, out Like, okay, yeah. And I tried to get up and fell, and of course, people come running in there, and, you know, it was... A big to do if you ever fall in the hospital. Oh my yeah. goodness! I thought you were talking about in rehab. I did. She fell off the rehab. toilet, and bless yeah. her heart, from that point on, she could not go to the restroom by herself. Oh my <laughs> goodness! No, they're they're like the next week. They had four people in there while she's going. <laughs> <laughs> she's going it's like I get no privacy. I don't want this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when you went from the ICU to the rehab, what was different about you? 
Like what what wasn't working the way it had that Friday I, by the time you left ICU? I, I could not walk. I was very off balance. Her balance was really out. She Even could, sitting up in bed, I would feel to, like I was going to fall. And it it pretty much had to force her to set her up. She, If you set her up, she felt like she was falling. Right. She would want to lean over. Right. So I'd lean the other direction because I wasn't wanting to fall and... You know, Brad would say, can't you sit up straight? It's Yeah, she. you had to force her to sit up because she felt like she was falling the whole mm -hmm. time. And so those are things that they worked on in rehab, trying to yes. help stabilize you. Mm -hmm. I mean, was it vertigo that was making you feel off, or was there something no, else going on? It's, it was just the stroke, the way it uh, affected the, my left side. I just yeah. mm -hmm. always felt off balance. And they actually... Within the first week, they had her where she was setting up. Yeah, I could sit up, easily and they they had they worked with me to stand, and they also tried to work with me on walking. But at that point, I could not. You were always right hand dominant, mm -hmm. so you kept that right hand. You were yes, able to. I was very happy about that. We hear often where folks it's lose the, the use of yeah. right their dominant yeah. hand. So that was at least somewhat of a blessing in the yes. whole thing. That and I never lost the ability to speak. I was talking the whole time in the ambulance, you know. Was that was that a blessing, Brad? <laughs> she was actually very impulsive and she talked a lot. Without a lot of filtering, <laughs> which was okay. Well, I mean, she was never. Been. My doctor would come in. He was trying to assess kind of like, I wonder where her brain's at today. And so he'd come in and sometimes he'd say something that wasn't like. He would intentionally ask her strange questions just to see how yeah. you're responding. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's a strange question or not? You know. And you thought they were all strange. <laughs> and you told him. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> that works. Well, and my vision was kind of messed up too and i remember oh. at one point everybody was just a floating head so her <laughs> all of her peripheral vision from the midline to the left in both eyes is gone she doesn't have it so if i was on her right and leaned over the bed all she would see was this head appear in the middle of her vision she would say i hate to tell you this but you're just I remember a floating head a doctor came in and i did say that i hate to tell you this but you're just a floating head like no body just a head Oh, my goodness. Which that's been one of the most difficult things for her to learn to compensate yes, for. Yes, the vision. It makes reading very difficult. It makes working her phone very difficult. And she's compensating for it way better than she used to. If we bought her a trike that she's getting out and right. I was so upset when trike. I first started, like, reading things on my phone. And it might be some article from the newspaper or whatever. And I'd, be, I'd get so mad because I'd think, who is... Is there anybody editing this stuff or reviewing it before they put it out there? Because there's words missing and misspelled, and she was missing. Yes, because I just was not. I was not getting all the letters and all the words. So, so is that still the case today? It is. Yeah, it is. That's not. I that's I not have to change. if I am going to read something. It's much easier if it's the lines are a little bit farther apart. Because if they're too close together, especially, it's, I just don't process it. It's. That's also, if you're to her left and you think you're in her field of view and you make some gesture or motion, she won't see it, you know, so that's. Right. 
you went through rehab for six weeks. Is that yeah. what it was? And what changed from the day you arrived to the day you left? What improvements did you see? <clears throat> you talked about being able to sit up and be able to stand. You could walk some at that point with a hemi walker. Yes, they did get me standing up. It was difficult. My left leg, of course, would drag some, and had to put slick stuff on the bottom of yeah, her. So I could foot to get across the carpet. Mm -hmm. You know. But for the most part, I was still in a wheelchair. They were trying to teach me different strategies for controlling it because, you know, if you only have one side that works, you're not going to really get where you want to go very fast. You're going to go around in a circle. She so we're talking to... about a manual wheelchair, right? Yes. So you're right. If you can't actually control both wheels because your left arm hand isn't working right. to do that, Right, that's how you, have you would to use end up in the circles. Your one good leg, yes, and your one to... good hand in conjunction to go. And they were really nice to her rehab because they would park her out there, and she wanted to go to her room. They'd say, "Okay, go oh. ahead and just make her make her try yeah, to find her was, way." Yes, they were. That was them <laughs> trying is... to. I will never forget one time. I swore. Okay, I thought it was my room. I go in there, and there's a kid that's asleep on the little couch in there, and there's a man that's sitting in the chair. And I'm thinking, you know, I'd left my iPad in there, my phone, all this stuff. And and I said, well, who are you? And he introduced himself and he says, we've been here for a day and a half and we're going to get started on rehab tomorrow. And um, and so I was thinking, oh, sure. I remember Brad had put a few of my clothes, clothes in one in of the, the drawers. drawers. So I pulled that drawer open and. Lo and behold, there was nothing in there, or it wasn't my stuff, and I felt horrible. Yeah, she was in the and I was just... But she was convinced it was her I was convinced it was my ring. Sort of backing out with your one hand on the wheel. They all kind of look alike. The thing was, the first room I had was the couch was on the right side, and so it was. So when people came over, it was easy for me to look at them and talk, but then a room came available that was flip-flopped where the couch was on the left and so there's a phenomena they call left side neglect in her case you have damage to the right side of your brain and the other side of your brain just kind of says okay that's not working right i don't need it anymore mm -hmm. and so in addition to the vision she would kind of she was rolling down the wheelchair she was always looking to the right everything in her world was to the right so one of the strategies in the rehab was to Get people to sit on her left, do everything you could to force her to look left and start learning to relook left again because the brain had kind of given up. Even though left. I do have the deficit of the no peripheral, I could still see to the left. Mm -hmm. I just have to force myself to look. But she wouldn't look early on. I mean, mm -hmm. early on, if you were. If we were sitting there like this and you were to her left, we'd have this entire conversation and never once would she ever turn and look at you. She would never veer from kind of the right looking over this direction. She'd talk to you, but she would it never It just felt comfortable, you know, how sometimes you do things and it's only because you feel comfortable doing it that way. And that's the way I was. Like, everything to the right is... All I need. So the, the switching the room put her in a situation where everyone who came in and did anything was, everything was on the left. So it was a good move to actually yeah, do. It was. Her. Forcing you. At that point, that I. She didn't like it. Uh, yes, I did not. 
using your, you know, your voice, which you had. So I'm sure you let everyone know. I did. Yes. And, uh, but looking back, you know, I think about it and I understand, oh, you know, I was a bit impulsive saying things that I probably wouldn't have said before to someone. I mean, not horrible things, but, you know, sometimes when you're talking to someone, you get a little idea in your head and, you know, I would have to blurt it out. <laughs> Do you have control of that now? Better. <laughs> Not all the time, but I, it is better. She is way better than she used to be. She will occasionally still interrupt people when they're mid-sentence because something comes to mind and she wants yes. to tell them. Well, that's the know. thing. When it comes to my mind, i got to say it or it may be lost forever. You'll lose that's it. when I pat her on the leg and say, honey, let him finish me. Yeah. But it's nice to have somebody that's at least given you that social cue because I didn't have it anymore after... Let's talk about that. Let's talk about this relationship. So you talked about Charlene life before the stroke and you're traveling and Brad, you're traveling all the time. How did things change in the relationship after the stroke? What does that look like now? Well, I will say before the stroke, Charlene, sort of the rock, she took care of everything. You know, she did the bills. She made sure the kids did what they were supposed to do, you know. At the time I had my stroke, we had two boys at home. They were both in college at the time, so I didn't have to do a lot there as far as making sure they were, well, one of them, I, yes, I did have to make sure he was going to class and all that, but so. But she took care of everything, and then that all changed, and then all of a sudden, it was me. Brad needs to know, what are the passwords for a bank account? Yeah, I, that kind she's of got thing. all and, the passwords to all the bank accounts. But so. not only that. The girl at work that was kind of taken over for me, which was my assistant when I had my stroke, she was calling me too, asking, me, "Do you know the password for such and such?" And <laughs> could you? Did you? I, could you remember passwords? I could. Actually, she I actually most of the things prior to the stroke she remembered really well. Since the stroke, she's got some short-term memory loss, and uh, so things after the stroke she doesn't remember as well. But even today, a lot of the stuff before Stro, she remembers, you know, how things worked in the office, what went on. Well, know. and I have all my pictures on my phone that I can go through and kind of remind myself of things that I did. But after I came home, there things were a little bit blurred as far as how much time has passed. And because my group stopped running and, uh, you know, and I just kept thinking, oh, all I need to do is get better enough to where I can walk with them or something and I could go out, but then several of them had some health issues and couldn't run anymore. So, but still in my mind, I'm thinking I'm going back to work and all this and, you know, Brad's trying to help me adjust to, cause since I was say 16 years old, I've worked. I mean, I worked full time for years. I mean, I worked at the law firm for, what was it, about 20 years or so But when I'd had my stroke? And it was not my intention not to come back. I mean, I just felt like I would at, you know, at some point, <clears throat> even though I've only got one hand and I'm not able to really get around. I mean, I'm thinking, like, how will I get to the bathroom? You know, the little things. Like, so, can I really do this in my wheelchair? Mm -hmm. You know. So the roles changed a lot. My company was very nice to me where I could stay home and stop traveling. And uh, 
I was talking to the lawyers at the, you know, everyone except Charlene knew she wasn't going back to work. <laughs> and even today, Charlene sometimes will say, you know, I think I could go back and do that job. You yeah. know, she, she misses. And he's, yes, I miss the people terribly. And after I came back, shortly after that, the pandemic started and everything was shut down. And it was just like, I was so lonely and, and me in my mind thinking it's only been, you know, a few months, mm -hmm. but it had been years actually. Yeah. I think that there's a few things that you're talking about that just to me resonate a lot. And I think they'll resonate with our listeners. I mean, one is just that, that change in the relationship, right? I mean, mm -hmm. you bring a caregiver to the center now. So you have a, although you do walk, I've never seen you in a wheelchair. You do walk, you, your leg is still, I would say stiff. I don't know if that's the word you use. It doesn't bend. It doesn't bend. And yes, some days it well, is just. It'll bend, but like the muscles on the backside of her thigh don't yeah, they just... really work. Her ankle muscles don't work well. Mm -hmm. These muscles work good. They are oftentimes toned up where they're getting the kind of rubber right. signals. That's and... another phenomena of a stroke. So a lot of times a... you have a, you know, your your body gets, to your muscles get toned up because it's getting some kind of rubber signal. kind of like noise coming from the brain telling all the muscles to tense up at once instead of a coordinated thing that you would need to walk. Right. So some of that goes on. She takes Botox shots for that actually in her legs and arm, which is kind of like a paralytic. It, sort of paralyzes to stop those rogue signals a little right. bit and help loosen that up. And so your left arm, how would you describe that? For folks that are listening and can't see you, how would you describe your well, left arm? It's not functioning. I I have some muscle that I can move in my arm and but as far as my hand goes, it's <clears throat> it's a fist and it does not move. It's immovable. She's got some contracture where the tendons have basically shrunk up and my shoulder is frozen because if you don't move your muscles they become frozen yeah she can raise her elbow about 90 degrees and anything past that gets very painful so she can move yeah. her shoulder some not much control with her but elbow it's not really meaningful i mean because you know like yeah. when you're used to moving around and doing things you use those particular muscles but now that i've been so long with just one arm it's my brain has said, well, we could do it with this one arm, and I don't even know what this one would do if it came back. I mean, I'm sure I could figure out something, but... I'm sure you could, yeah. too. How did you become engaged with the center? I had gone to uh, uh, some post... Uh, the stroke support group at Hillcrest. Right. I had gone to some rehab at Hillcrest when I was released from St. Francis they put me in the day treatment center at Hillcrest, and um, she did that. There was a um, a year probably a support group there that would get together once a week, and uh, one of the things they discussed was you know things that you could do after your stroke, and the center came up. There were a couple of people. Well, one for sure, I remember he was very much an advocate for you should try this. And I was so happy to hear about it because I'd been so active before. I, I still belonged to the Y, and I would go down there to work out, but 
I really needed someone to help me get on and off the machines and, you know, help me. It was difficult. So when I heard about the center, I thought, well, I want to go check it out at least just for the gym, you know, that would be worth it. If I had a place that I could go and, you know, do a little cardio, I mean, it wouldn't be the same as running, but I had gained weight because I had stopped moving around so much. And just the moving around even at home, like I had a caregiver that was helping me with meals and that kind of thing. Well, if you have somebody that's making you a sandwich, they just bring it right to you with everything you need. and <laughs> Not a lot of movement going well, on. Well, the problem is is that, well, this was back when I had my Hemi Walker still. You have one hand that you've got with the Hemi Walker, and if the other one doesn't work, you can't really carry things from one room to the other. Mm-hmm. Just the morning coffee was difficult. Right. So. Mm-hmm. You get to the center because you wanted to check out the gym. Mm-hmm. And how did that go? What, what was that like for you? What was well, that experience? Well, I went in and I talked to um, the administrator there at the time. And we kind of discussed what the center had to offer. And we went on a tour. And, I mean, the facility is beautiful. I mean, it is fantastic. And, yes, I went into the, the sports center. And there's people there in wheelchairs that are, I mean, they're... <laughs> doing all kinds of stuff. And I thought, well, if they can do that, I bet I can do that. That's always been my, Mm -hmm. uh, in my mind. A lot of times when I want to do something and I see someone else do it and I think, I bet I can do that too. Mm -hmm. So you start going into the fitness center Mm -hmm. and what were you doing? What, what did it do for you? I mean, just getting to go and, you know, have somebody help you get on the machines and that, I mean, it's, it's great. And, I mean, the, everybody there is so nice. I mean, they're just, you know, oh, I'll help you. And, mm-hmm. and sometimes I'm not sure whether they're an employee or a, a volunteer. but Or another member. <laughs> or it could be another member, possibly. I'll tell you, from my perspective, the great thing for Charlene and the center is it gives her something to do every day, someplace to go, people to be with. People under similar circumstances. Right, that understand what you're going through. With. The option to do all the different classes that she might want, work out, because she still likes to work out. Uh, it gives her something to look forward to, because without that, she'd be sitting at home. It gives you a little hope, like, okay, TV, maybe you know? I will get better. You see other people that have injuries that are worse than yours, that are doing all these things and you think, well, I bet I could do that too if I really tried. And so it is It is a hopeful thing. When did you join the center, do you know? Mm. I don't remember exactly when it was. Seems like it was It was probably March, it, early 2019, I think. About a year or so after she had. And then COVID hit, so we closed for yes. several months. How oh, did that impact you? It was terrible. Tell me about that. Well, you know, of course, and I'm staying at home, I have a caregiver. We went up to the center numerous times just to look at the door to make sure I'm pushing on the button. Are you sure nobody's here? (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, it was the thing about the center is because there are so many people there. I mean, there's always somebody to talk to and. And there's always something going on. Oh, always something going on. Tell me about all the things that you're involved in now at the center. Right now, my 
my favorite class is stained glass. And I've always wanted to take st- or learn how to do that. And they had it. And I was like, I'm doing that. And uh, it's the, the nice thing. And you don't always get this with every class. But the class that I go to, everybody knows each other, likes each other. It's a great little social circle as we do our stained glass. And, and you're doing stained glass, as you said, with a hand that's constricted all the time. That stays in fist mode. Oh, oh. Well, I still have my right that right. I'm able to I'm able to use it, but there's a lot of little workarounds mm-hmm. you have to do because a lot of things you do you need to have two hands, but if you don't, then you got to figure out another way to to go at it. And the center has certified recreational therapists who help figure out those other strategies, right? Mm-hmm. They're there to help figure out what are those adaptive components that you need to be successful at what you want to do. Yes. You also play bocce. Yes, I play bocce ball, too. And when I started that, I, I asked another member, I said, so what is this bocce ball thing? And, of course, he says, oh, it's just throwing balls. And I was like, <laughs> it was not. And so I went and I watched a few times thinking, it can't just be. I'm, I'm thinking some carnival game, you know, or something. So for those that don't know what bocce is, you throw a white jack ball, and then you have a red team and a blue team, and each team is trying to throw their balls closest to the jack ball, and then whichever color is closest and those around it that are closest get the points, and you're right. working to get to a goal. Did it's you big in Europe, from it, what I understand. And it's getting bigger here, certainly. Uh, what about your... Did you travel this year with the bocce team? I did. We went to Kansas City for a tournament they had there, and that was really fun because these bocce people, I mean, it's like a, a, their own community. Mm-hmm. You meet people that have been doing this a long time, people like me. There's people that are blind that do this. Mm-hmm. They just have to have a little bit of... Sound, yes. right? They need to and know where the jackpot is. Uh, when what before we went, they kind of uh, they would rate you as to where your d- disabilities fell and how severe they were, and you know depending on what they were, you get put into a class and then you compete amongst the people in that same class as you, yes. right? To try to make it more fair across the board. So I hope that you'll continue to travel this year. I know we're looking at traveling again in 2023. Oh, I'm definitely going to travel. I'm definitely going to go. I want to go back to a comment that you made previously with you and I chatting, which was that stroke and depression go together. What does that look like? What Do we know what that is a result of? Do we, what is that? I think it's just the result of the brain having an insult to it. Mm-hmm. But when I came to the center, I talked to some of the other stroke survivors, and I remember one of them telling me, you know, and it's just one of those things that, you know, happens. And, you know, she was kind of talking me through some stuff because you feel once you've had the stroke and you can't, you don't work anymore, you can't drive your car, and all of a sudden, you know, life looks a lot different. It It is very I mean, it's it's a blow to your self-esteem. It's a sure. loss. Mm-hmm. You know, it is. It's a it's, loss. It's a loss of your old life to something you're now adapting to. Right. Do you feel that loss every day? 
Yes, I do. I feel the loss every day. You know, and in my mind, I still, when I wake up, sometimes I think, hey, you know what? Maybe today will be the day I can move my arm again. Although I, I know it doesn't really work that way, but I, early on, they say the first year is the golden year when you'll get, you know, what whatever you get back, that's what you're going to have. And I remember during that first year, there was people that were very limited. And one day they can move their arm, the next, you know, one day they can't move their arm, the next day they can. And, I, you know, so in my mind, I'm thinking maybe those connectors in my brain will eventually just one day connect mm -hmm. or maybe a new pathway will start. Mm -hmm. I just, but yes, it's always my hope that it will. Mm hmm but in my mind, I kind of know that it's not going to work that way. So my mind has decided the right arm, the right side is where I need to be. She suffered with depression really bad. I'd say the first two and a half years, probably. She's done yeah. really well the last year and a half or so. She's come a long way on that. She still has her moments for sure. But, uh, but it's a hard thing. She's, she's doing better. So what's changed in the last year and a half that's helped you turn that corner a little bit? You know, when I start feeling really bad, sometimes I just need to get out and be around people and to kind of get out of my head, so to speak. And the center has helped with that a lot because there's always somebody there whether it's an employee, another member, or a volunteer that, you know, I mean, they're glad you're here kind of thing. And and so I, it makes you feel like I belong here. Do you have a favorite story from the center where just something just impacted you or there was an interaction that just meant a lot to you? Do you have any of those? You had talked about meeting the woman the other day that's new and mm -hmm. is a stroke survivor herself and how she seemed like she may be a little depressed and just that yes. interaction with her. Yes, she was very happy to talk to somebody else that had gone through the same type of thing. And it's nice to know you're not alone. And I think what's so interesting about that is to think, you know, you were her at one point, right? You were yes. new to the center. Mm -hmm. You were getting that support system. And certainly now you are a support system to so many others there. And that's obvious with people wanting to talk to you when you walk in the door and people wanting to play bocce with you and just your... Just want to beat me, that's all. <laughs> they do. They do want to beat you because you're good. <laughs> they want to beat you because you're good. She is pretty good. But it's that, um, it, it's watching that, you know, again, I, I see it from this sort of outsider perspective, mm -hmm. but it's really sweet to watch those relationships and watch you flourish in those relationships. In the end, what's the hope? What, what's the hope? What, what do you hope for, Charlene? I think, deep down, everybody wants to be happy and be okay in their life. And I feel like when I go to the center, I can talk to somebody and gain a little bit of that, you know, a little camaraderie, a little somebody to talk to, and I'm okay. Yeah. 
I may not be 100%, but most other people aren't either, whether that you can see their injury or not. Mm-hmm. You know, to me, I think the hope is you you suffer this horrible injury, but then in so many ways, you're uh, you're so lucky. It could have been so much worse. Oh, we can still have conversations. We can still talk. Yeah. And there's some people that can't. And so there's so many things that could have been so much worse. You still got a lot to, to look forward to. And to be able Before to. I had my stroke, there was only one person I knew that had had a stroke, which was my aunt. She could not walk or speak. And I mean, that that's huge mm-hmm. because I remember visiting her and, you know, it was difficult to communicate because she couldn't speak and. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure she led kind of a lonely life because she lived with her daughter, with a caregiver, and she didn't get out that much. And and you all live a full life. I mean, you talk about oh, going yeah. to the center, but Brad's in a band. You guys go and watch his band. Out you guys are going night with friends. Yeah. I mean, we, we do yes, everything. Yes, we do uh, almost everything that we used to do. Yeah. So the life is full. Certainly you bring, again, so much joy to the center. How do you get centered at the center, Charlene? Walking through the front door. Just brings you centered. It does. It really does. I feel like it's my place. I belong there. You do. And Brad, you come as her caregiver. Mm-hmm. How do you get centered at the center? For me, it's just watching what it does for Charlene, you know. Now, and he's seeing, made some friends at the center, and too. And seeing all the other people. I've become friends with a lot of those people there, too, and seeing what they're going through. And, and He plays chess with one of them. Yeah, Nate and I play chess, and it's a, it's a great place. So. Well, I appreciate both of you for being here today. Thank you for sharing your story. And, you know, let's get centered together, y'all. Thank let's you. Do it.